Um, it's a privilege to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to dig in with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 25, Ephesians chapter 4. Last year, we in February, we opened up as a foster home. and We fostered uh, actively for nine months last year, had 11 placements during that time, and whether they stayed with us for 24 hours or for a weekend or for a month or for six months, we always had the same conversation when they were getting ready to move on. We have this wooden J that we hang up on the wall in our house, and we would get it out, and we'd sit it on the dining room table and sit, sit down with them, and we would tell them that they were now honorary Jordans that regardless of where they've come from or where they are going, regardless of of how things would move forward, if anything ever happened and they were unsafe or stranded or in trouble or needed something, that I didn't care what time of the day it was, I didn't care how long it had been since we had talked, that if you need us to call us, And we had that conversation 11 different times, one of those being a permanent conversation with with my son. And we wanted them to understand that even if they were going back to their family, that if there ever came a time where they needed a family, they had one. This conversation has such deeper roots for us in the church as we get into Ephesians chapter 4. It's one of identity. It's one of a new reality. It's an announcement of a new life and even a new humanity that is being created by God the Father through the finished work of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we pick up in verse 25, we're going to see three big truths today. First, we're going to see that we walk in the light of our new self, not our old. We walk in the light of our new self, not our old. The second thing I want us to see is that we walk in the light of our obligation to one another. We walk in the light of our obligation to one another. And lastly, we're going to see that we walk in the light of our forgiveness that's been given to us by King Jesus. So we're going to pick up Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. I want to do something slightly different. If you would, stand with me in the reading and the honoring of God's holy inspired word. Verse 25 says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Holy Word. So the passage picks up with a therefore, and if you've spent any time reading the Bible or been in church in any time, you've heard preachers say what I'm about to tell you, that when you get to a therefore, you ask what? What is it there for? So we're going to do that. What it's there for is Paul is transitioning us into a list of ways in which we walk and live in this new life. He's doing so in light of everything that Dan shared with you last week in 17 through 24, namely kind of the three big sections of why we don't walk as Gentiles anymore, what it means that we've been given the truth as it is in Jesus, and the reminder that we have put off the old self and we have put on the new. When Paul speaks of the truth as it is in Jesus, the, the truth that we've been given, that he assumes that we have been told, he means this, that Christ lived the life that we couldn't live, that he died the death that we deserved, and then raised from the dead, giving us, those of us who have put our hope and our trust and our confidence in the finished work of lo- alone of Jesus for our salvation, that we now walk as new creatures. You're brand new. And this is a new life. So last week, Paul wanted to remind us of our identity. And now in verses 25 through 32, he's going to call us to live in light of that new identity. And he begins by telling us first that we walk in light of the new self, not the old. As we work through this list of calls to action, I want us to see the different things taking place. First, we're going to see that there's a contrast here. He's contrasting old versus new. Notice what he says, that you are to put away falsehood and speak truth, that you're to be angry, not sin, and not give opportunity to the devil, that you're not not to let the sun go down in your anger. So there's reconciliation from anger to reconciliation, from slavery to freedom. We move then from being former thieves to now being hard workers who are generous with our work. We move from talk that breaks down to conversation that builds up that's grace-filled and timely. It's a subtle but a necessary paradigm shift that Paul wants us to see here that takes place in our heart, our mind, in our soul. Remember what he said last week in 20 through 24 that all the things that he's talking about, what it looked like to walk as Gentiles, that's not the way you learned Christ. That's not who you are. That belongs to your former manner of life. You are now in a new life. You're a new creature. You're putting off the old self. You're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You're putting on the new self. And then he ends by telling you what? That you're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Literally, Christ has covered your sin and the spirit now sanctifies you, forming you into this restored Imago Dei. This restored image of God, putting the pieces back together, slowly shaping you over long obedience in the same direction to be more and more like Jesus. Tenses matter. 
This isn't something you're hoping one day to achieve. Notice the way that in the tense that he uses that you put off the old self because that belongs to your former manner. Not that you're continuously hoping maybe if I try really hard and I white knuckle and I talk to myself and I tell myself that I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and, and gosh darn it people like me that maybe possibly I might be able to do this. No, he's telling you that old way is dead that we've put our hope and faith in the work of Christ. And because of that, what he tells the Galatians is true for us, that we've been crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but the life we now live, Christ lives. It's as if Gage died the day that I became a Christian. And we now walk as if we're walking in Christ. It's not as if we're continuously putting to death the old self, trying to figure out why it keeps coming back, trying to figure out why it resuscitates itself. No, that corpse is dead. And anytime you continue to walk in the flesh, you're walking in a reality that you no longer exist in. You're walking in a life that you no longer have. You're living like you've forgotten who you are. That always is dead. Had dinner with a, a new church member, my neighbor, Cody. And Cody is a former meth addict. And he's been to prison. And, and there's all the stigmas that come with that. But to see the, the light in his eyes when we talk about the fact that like that's not who he is anymore. That he's not addict. Cody. He's just Cody. That he's not convict or felon Cody. He's new Cody. He's Christ-covered, completely forgiven, progressively sanctifying, walking in new life Cody. As a family, we have this conversation so many times, and Titus can attest to this, that on a regular basis, I will tell him, he's going to like sink in the seat because I'm calling him out, but like I will tell him on a regular basis, son, you're no longer a foster kid. You are a Jordan. This is not a placement. This is permanent. How much more is the father telling you and me the same thing. Kiddo, you're mine. This is forever. This isn't a temporary negotiation that's contingent on whether or not you have your junk together today or not. And if you can't get it together, I'm out. This is sealed. This is permanent. This is eternal. This is new. So when Paul is contrasting the old with the new, he's calling us to remember who we are and walk in the light of that new self. We are not in the old self. We are new. It's not as if we are hoping that if we just try really hard and have a big hammer, we can kill that old man. No, that old man is dead. So when you walk in the flesh, you're just forgetting who you are. And you may say to me, but Gage, you don't know where I've been. Or you may say, like a good friend of mine says, I've gotten so far away from God. Two things. One, 
when you think back to the parable of the prodigal son, I want you to realize that the prodigal never ceases to be a son. Even in the midst of his slop, even in the midst of his engaging with prostitutes, even in the midst of his filth and hatred and bitterness and rebellion, he's still a son. One son did this. Another son did that. He never ceases to be a son. So when he shows back up, the father tells him, hey, skip the rehearsed speech. You're not a servant. You're a son. Go get a new robe. Go get a ring. We're throwing a party. He was dead. Now he's alive. He never ceases to be a son. The other thing we need to realize is God's not spacious. We think about it in reality of our sin all the time. We're like, well, I've gotten so far away from God as if God can only love you in a mile radius. Here's the thing. He's not spacious. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So there isn't a stretch of existence of which he doesn't say, mine. So as much as you feel as if you were far away, let me remind you of the song that you, we teach our kiddos. He's got the whole world in his hands. So as you're running away, he's sitting there going, eventually he'll stop. I've got you. Eventually he'll get it. We walk in the light of who we are, not we, who we used to be. And Paul's call to life here isn't a task that we have to maintain in order to keep up our relationship with God. This list is an exhortation to holiness. We live in light of what Christ has done for us and the Spirit continues to do in us. That's not the only thing Paul wants us to see. We walk in light of the new, not the old, but we also walk in the light of our obligation to one another. Let's go back to this list. Looking at each call here, we not only see the contrast of the old and the new, but we see that each of these comes with an obligation to one another. Each of these pushes us to see that we exist as Christians best in community with one another. When we understand our accountability to one another, we see that our actions have an effect on more than just ourselves. Notice the continual push for community here. He tells them to first put away falsehood. Why? So you can speak truth to who? Your neighbor. You can't speak truth to your neighbor by yourself. That means you're talking to yourself, and that's a little crazy. He tells you to speak truth to your neighbor. Why? Because you're members of one another. This is a in-house conversation, Christian to Christian communication. You put away falsehood. You don't lie to one another. You don't pretend things are good when they're not. You don't fake it. You're real. You're genuine. But you speak truth to your neighbor. Why? Because you're accountable to them and they are to you. And then the next thing he says, he tells you to be angry and not sin. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Christian, don't be angry. The Christian life isn't one where we have to pretend to be happy all the time. That's what makes 
false gospels like Joel Osteen's gospel is so terrible because he's smiling all the time, and that's just not reality. Some weeks you get fired. Some weeks things happen. Some things you get in a wreck. Sometimes you misbalance your checkbook. Sometimes your marriage is struggling. Like Whatever the case may be, sometimes life sucks. Sometimes you're angry. But notice what it says. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Again, this is relational. In first proximity, it's relational to the person that you live with. Married couples, to your spouse. Don't let the sun go down to your anger. That's a reality you're going to have to deal with because you got to get in bed and go to sleep. Singles, it, it may be a, a conversation you got to have with the roommate, right? Either way, it's a call to quick forgiveness, quick reconciliation, quick repentance, quick restitution. But it, again, it happens in community. The former thief is called to honest work. Why? That he may have something to share with one another. Even your work now, brothers and sisters, is not your own vocation. Even the vocation that you have been given is a resource for hospitality and generosity. You are given your job, whatever it is, whether bivocational, whether ministry-related, whether stay-at-home mom, your, your vocation has been given to you by God for the sake of hospitality and generosity that you may share with anyone who's in need. And lastly, it, in dealing with our corrupt talk, notice what it says. This isn't a Mrs. Manners manual here. It's a call to think about how your words affect one another. Are they building up or are they tearing down? Are your words grace and life giving or are they timely? Are you, should you say that right now? Or should you probably maybe check your motives? Is what you're going to say filled with grace? Or have you put yourself in the place of judge and they need to do things the way you think they should do them? Are you running at the mouth with little regard to the damage or the outcome of what you're going to say? This has so much more to do than whether or not you dropped the F-bomb this week. It just does. Every one of these imperatives, every one of these calls to life and how to walk our callings to live a new life in light of who we are. And it's so tied to one another that we can't do these by ourselves. This past summer, in the midst of our fostering, we had five teenagers at our house at one time. And on a regular basis, I would sit them at the dining room table and we'd have a family conversation, usually meaning we had to settle some sort of drama or issue. And I would look each one of them in the eye and would tell them on a regular basis, as long as you are in this house, you are honorary Jordans, which means you are accountable to one another. You see someone else messing up, say something. You're struggling, grab someone. You are accountable to one another. 
How much more is this true of you, brothers and sisters of Central Press? You literally are family, sealed by the blood of the Lamb. A family bought and paid for by Christ. A family called and adopted by God the Father. A family called to both love and be loved. If we're going to speak truth to one another, i got to have some collateral with you, right? I can't just walk up to you and tell you about yourself. That makes for a bad conversation. I gotta have some rapport. I gotta have some relationship. Our vocations, as I mentioned, aren't even ours. They're a resource for how we can care for one another. Our conversations carry such weight with one another that we're either communicating life or death. Which are we giving to one another? Which are we communicating? We're called to get over our anger quickly and not let it sit for days and grow until we've gotten to just the right passive-aggressive meme that we can post on Facebook about however we feel. That's not the way that you learned Christ. But isn't that how we do it? We post it and we feel righteous indignation. Told them. And then you go back a little bit and want to see how many likes you got about it. And you want to scroll through how many comments you got. Why? Because you don't want to actually deal with the issue. You don't want to actually have conversations. It's so much easier to just subtweet about it. But that's not the way you learn Christ. We're called to walk in light of our obligation to one another, because there is not an offense that you have experienced that is so heinous that it exceeds the offense that Christ experienced on the cross. I'm going to say that again. There is nothing you have experienced that is so heinous that it exceeds the offense that the Holy innocent lamb of God experienced for you and for me so we can reconcile. Which brings me to the last point that Paul wants us to see. Third, we walk in the light of our forgiveness given to us by King Jesus. Paul summarizes everything he said up to this point in the last three simple statements. Notice what it says starting in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Each statement here groups everything that he said previously. When we live as if we haven't been changed, we forget who we are. When we live like Gentiles, we live as if we want to go back to the slavery and the death that we came from. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. But it's like a frustrated parent 
He's never going to give up on us, but He knows who we are. He knows the image that you have been made into. And like a good parent, He wants what's best for you. And what's best for us is not prosperity and convenience. What's best for us is to be made in the image of Jesus. So when you greet the Holy Spirit, it's like a parent going, come on, bro. Come on, man. You know better. It's not the way you learn Jesus. That's leading you to death. Stop doing that. That's just going to end in failure. Come on. When we're bitter, when we're wrathful, when we're angry, when we clamor, when we slander, when we're malicious to one another, at that point now, you've stopped walking in grace and you've become self-serving. You've come from a position that only focuses on the violation and not on how you could reconcile. You're stomping around and throwing a tantrum because your kingdom has been offended. How dare they? Don't they know who I am? How could they? And we're throwing a fit because we've forgotten whose kingdom we exist in. We are subjects of the king. It's his kingdom that he has graciously given for us to be in. You don't sit on the throne. I don't sit on the throne. Dan doesn't sit on the throne. Christ does. And when we act as if this offense that we have experienced with our brothers and sisters in Christ is so great that we just can't get over it, that they need to know, or we need to tell other people about how they need to know, We stopped serving Jesus and we started serving ourselves. When we're walking in the flesh like this, we're just like the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. The king is settling accounts and he comes across a servant that owes him 10,000 talents. Just so you can understand the math here. The talent is 20 years worth of income. And he owes 10,000 talents. So carry the one. It's a debt that he can never possibly repay. And he comes to the king, and the king tells him, I'm putting you and your family in slavery. You're going to pay off every dime, and I'm going to sell everything you've got. And he falls to his knees, and he's pleading for patience. And it says the king had compassion on him and he forgives everything. And the next thing you know, the servant goes and he finds somebody that owes him a hundred denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So instead of 10,000 20 year wages, he owes like a hundred days worth of money. A couple months. And he chokes him. Pay me now. And the guy pleads with him. He falls to his knees and says, be patient with me. And he says, absolutely not. Throw him in jail. 
And the king gets wind of this and confronts him. How dare you when I forgave you of so much more? When we're walking in the flesh instead of walking in light of our obligation to one another, when we forget that we walk in the light of forgiveness that has been given to us in Christ. We're like that unforgiving servant. We've forgotten the insurmountable, infinite, never able to be paid debt that we no longer owe because of the blood of Jesus. So when we interact with one another, we walk as people that have been forgiven such a great debt. That I can interact with you and I can deal with your offenses and I can deal with whatever else that would prevent me to be in relationship with you, your political leanings, your Facebook statuses, your whatever the case may be, fill in the blank. I can deal with it and I can bear with it because do you know what I've been forgiven? Do you know who I used to be? We can bring people into the family of God here that are messy because we're messy. We can bring people into the family of God here because if they're broken, that's okay because we were broken at one time. We know what it's like. So Paul ends with these words, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We are people marked by an incredibly forgiving Savior. There is no offense that we could ever experience that is greater than the one that Christ experienced on our behalf. Everything about who we are must be shaped by this forgiveness. So we walk in the light of our new self, not our old. We walk in light of our obligation to one another. And we walk in light of our forgiveness that's been given to us by King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. <coughs> Through Christ, we have been forgiven more than we even realize and more than we could ever repay. By your Spirit, you are shaping us and restoring in us the Imago Day. Please help us this week to walk in light of who we are, not who we used to be. And if there's anyone here currently walking in death, please do the thing that I can't do and bring them to life. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.